0: Hey folks, you're about to hear episode 99 of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, 9-9, nine, nine. I've been running a membership drive from now until episode 100, and you can count, so yeah, this is the final week of that drive, this is it. Here's all you need to know for the final week of the drive, we've hit a bunch of the goals already, and so those are getting fulfilled, and I'm, I'm putting that stuff out and doing those new things for patrons, and, and some of them for listeners in general. There's a set of further goals that depend on additional financial support. I can't do them without your help, so if we make it happen within this last week of the drive, I'll go ahead and do them. And if we don't, I need to put them on the back burner. I need to focus on what I can do with this show, with the support it has. One good example of all that is the very next goal for the show, which we might have hit if we had an amazing day or two between when I taped this and now, but... The next goal is to do regular and frequent and consistent live episodes of the podcast, and one of the key building blocks of that is guest pay, because I've always paid guests on the live shows even before we hit that guest pay goal, and it pays more than a regular episode, and so there's expense there. Without that additional support, I just can't do live shows very often. So... That's the pitch for this last week. If you jump in and support the show, maybe we hit new goals. Maybe we can do new things. If you don't, we don't. And that's okay. because holy cow, I am already overjoyed about how these weeks have gone. How many dozens of new people have shown up and backed the show or told a friend to check it out. And maybe that friend backs the show. And those are the two greatest things you can do for a podcast like this. So many of you have done that. And I'm just really grateful. I'm excited for this last week of The Drive. I am thrilled to bring you episode 100, and then 101, and 102, and 103, and on and on, all because of backers. Oh, and speaking of episode numbers, please enjoy episode 99. Carrots, known for being orange, famous for being vitamins. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why carrots are secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. I'm joined by two wonderful guests this week. You've heard Jack O'Brien on the past episodes of this show about potatoes and about sewers. also hope you've heard him any weekday on his own podcast, The Daily Zeitgeist, or on his new NBA podcast titled Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Those are both co-hosted with the great Miles Gray and just wonderful stuff. And then you've heard Jason Pargin on several episodes of this show, most recently about chocolate. He's a full-time novelist, best-selling novelist. His next book on the way is titled If This Book Exists, You're in the Wrong Universe. That's the title. If This Book Exists, You're in the Wrong Universe. It's available for pre-order. It's also the fourth book in the John Dies at the End series. It also stands on its own and explains itself. So if you haven't read any of that series, don't sweat it. You can jump in. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Kanarsi and Lenape peoples. Acknowledge Jack recorded this on the traditional land of the gabrielino tongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. Acknowledge Jason recorded this on the traditional land of the Shawnee, Eastern Cherokee, and Saatsayaha peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about carrots. A self-explanatory topic. Also, I have two additional things to say. Two other things to say about this episode and how it how it turned out, how it shaped up. The first thing to say is that this episode is a little bit time-warpy. Because Jack and Jason both brought in a lot of old stories from an old job. A website called Cracked.com was a former workplace for all three of us. And it comes up a lot on this one, which in hindsight is my fault. Like as a producer, as a guest booker, because it's an independent podcast, I'm doing all the stuff. Like as the person bringing all three of us together, I probably should have expected some old memories to come up. After taping this, I did some rough back of the napkin estimating, and I believe the three of us all put together spent a combined 30 years, three zero thirty 30 years working at that website. Wow, numbers and stats already. But uh, And it's also a couple more years if we tag on my freelance work, and then Jack and Jason pretty much invented that website, other than the branding. Like, that name cracked is from a 1950s satire magazine. I know this all sounds very random, whether or not you've heard of the website, but I, I hope it's not a drag that this podcast will talk about a website that you've probably never heard of. It's It's not relevant to the podcast I make now, but it is relevant to, like, the three of us and our backgrounds and spending time together, so... Not surprised it comes up, and I hope you roll with it. So that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is that the Dutch come up a lot on this carrots episode, and I think that's wonderful, because if you've heard last week's show about tulips, or if you've heard the recent show about the color orange, there's going to be an extra rich experience for you. This is sort of an accidental trilogy of podcasts about Dutch history and culture in an exciting way. So please sit back. Or open up Adobe Illustrator to generate a movie poster for the third movie of a SIFPOD Dutch history trilogy. I did think of a title for it. It is Return of the Jedikes. You like a dike like a dam. Very fun. Here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Jack O'Brien and Jason Pargin. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Of Jack, it is so good to have you as always. And of course, I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Either we can start. How do you feel about carrots?
1: My God, this guy really gets right into it, doesn't he? <laughs> no formalities, this guy. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him in months. He just comes right at me with questions about a very sensitive subject for me: uh, carrots.
2: Uh, carrots i'm gonna start kick this off with a useful life hack for those of you who tuned in and maybe you're new to the show and you're like why am i listening to a whole show about carrots they can't be that interesting one they are that's the promise of the show but if you don't believe (laughs) us um here's a life hack for you i personally do not like any carrots that i've made myself at home or that i've bought or eaten but I love carrots quite a bit, eat them just fine when they are cooked in a dish in a restaurant. And I talked to a guy who worked at a number of restaurants and asked, what's the secret? Like what do they do? And he said, What they do, and it's interesting, when they cook their vegetables, they just cook them in like two inches of butter. Heck yeah. Butter. So okay. that so
0: okay. and the science
2: behind it is, is that the the <laughs> Vegetables have like cells that contain like water. If you can replace that with pure fat and salt, they taste much better. So if you can turn the carrot into a sponge that is soaked up a bunch of liquid melted butter and use that as basically just a container, a vessel to deliver butter into the the diner, Mm -hmm. that's when you've you've actually created a good tasting vegetable. And you can do it at home. I've tried Mm -hmm. it. Just orange
1: carrot-shaped sticks of butter is essentially what you get. It's just, it's just a vessel. Uh, it's, a, it's almost like a mold for butter. Well, here,
2: and here's the thing, Jack. It can really be anything. Broccoli? Fish? Anything. at it all. It's like people tell me they love the taste of lobster. It's like, no, you don't. You, you love dipping lobster in in the little in butter. tub of melted yeah. butter. If they could just That's give true. you a bigger thing of butter, you would actually enjoy the meal better. They could give you a plate of anything, and you could dip it in there. Yeah. That's a that's the
1: secret. If you're a food, just make it uh, the thing that, oh, well, you have to have it dipped in just drenched in a uh, drawn butter popcorn. Um, yeah, so this is actually big for me because I actually, the only way I've ever been able to motivate myself, basically, to do anything is either mm-hmm. with the promise of a nice carrot at the end of a job well done, um, <laughs> or in the case that I fail, uh, a stick uh, which I just brutally beat myself with. Um, those are, and that's, that's my system. That's the Jack alpha billionaire mentality system, um, that you can read about in my upcoming, uh, book that has me just a picture
2: of me on the cover with my arms crossed. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I have right away, right away. I have to bring this podcast to a screeching halt and, and I and express beef with what Jack just said. The phrase no the phrase carrot on a stick, I thought it was the thing where you sit on a horse or donkey with yeah. a stick, a pole, and then at dangling at the end of the pole on a string is a carrot. And the, oh. the animal will try to get the carrot, <clears throat> right. and the, but the carrot is floating in front of them. And they're so stupid, they don't realize, oh, it's just me holding the carrot on a stick. But everyone uses the phrase the way Jack just did. They will, when they talk the about stick. how a boss yeah. was too rough, they'll say, "Well, you know, it was too much. It was, it was not enough carrot and too much stick. Like he didn't offer positive motivation; he was always threatening to beat them with the stick instead of giving them the carrot." Oh. One of us is wrong about the origin of that of that phrase.
1: I don't care about the origin. I care about results, Jason. That's <laughs> I'm in the results business, brother. But, it says I'm beating myself senseless with a stick when I fail. Uh I think that's actually mainly what it's about. I don't know. I don't really even like carrots that much. Uh it's really the beatings that uh that are getting getting the job done for me. I
0: think I think I understood it that phrase both ways. I thought it was holding a carrot in front of a horse's path and then you have like a second stick for the hitting. Right. I, which is a real mess as far as understanding. But that's two sticks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Two sticks. Basically. Yeah, carrot on a stick and a stick. <laughs> like he has two hands, you know.
2: Because if you use the stick with the carrot attached to beat the animal, it's going to go thrashing around trying to chase the carrot <laughs> as you flail around hitting. The, it's going to be like trying to reach back and snatch the carrot and eat it.
0: Yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah. someone well,
2: someone out there who actually knows which of those is correct. Uh, some future episode, maybe maybe Alex will talk <laughs> about it. How about you, Alex?
0: What, what what do you like carrots? I do. I think I'm the most pro carrot. I like them raw the most, especially because I think when I was served them cooked as a kid, sometimes they're really mushy. You know. I like a I like a raw carrot, and I like carrots just a whole lot. I think they're delicious. They're up there with corn. They're up there with green beans, especially like a pan-fried Chinese-style green bean. Really great. Way into carrots. Really related to the topic of the bonus show, Bugs Bunny, because he was so into them.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... This is going to blow you guys. I, I don't I don't want it to come across like I wasn't listening when you were talking, Alex, because I was. <laughs> but I was also researching the origin of the phrase carrot and stick. You're not going to believe this. But the original cartoon of the carrot and stick was about two writers, one who was beating his donkey with a stick and the other who was relaxing and tempting his donkey with a stick, but with a, a carrot or a turnip tied to the end of it. Oh, saying that he was the more things. merciful one because the other guy was like wearing himself out and cruelly beating it. And the other guy is just chilling and rea- relaxing and offering it as in. So it was a, a like um, a very basic lesson about like offering incentives instead of threatening people. Hmm. The beatings will continue until morale improves. So that's what it was supposed to be. So it is both. They're both equally right. So people just use <sighs> the phrase carrot and stick. Um oh, but man. Yeah.
1: I felt like, I, I feel such a weight lifted. I, I, the, the tension between Jason and I uh, was thick. Um, and I, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that.
0: And it, it's so weird that that phrase is, I feel like the most accurate version of the phrase is carrot and stick or stick. You know, which is a, a really clumsy thing. Yeah. Obviously, everyone's confused.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's not.
1: A, I was gonna. Try, I was gonna suggest carrot and or stick, but that's not right. It's carrot and stick or stick. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. the proper way to say it.
2: If you, you will now for now, and you will sound like a fool if you don't say it that way. It's the carrot and stick, or just the stick. Right. Yeah. And then you have to you have to show them the drawing to make it clear what what you're referencing. <laughs>
0: I also, I like that animals, and again, we'll talk more about rabbits in the bonus, but I like that animals are so famous for liking carrots. Like Jack, when you were talking about your business success strategies of carrot and stick, I was imagining like a business book by an animal, like, like a horse being (laughs) like this, this is what it's about. Very cocky horse horse. horse. with
1: like, yeah, with its (laughs) arms crossed somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I assumed all animals, rabbits, fish, anything. Would like a good carrot if you just put it in front of them. We had one. We I've had three dogs in my life. Um, one of them did like carrots, and it was the first one. Oh. So I was like, "This is true. The carrots are <laughs> the answer to feeding anything." Uh, and then none of my other dogs liked liked carrots. So, yeah.
2: If you have any, if there are any listeners out there, if you're having trouble getting your pets to eat carrots, there's a way you can prepare them. <laughs> <laughs> that almost any living thing will enjoy them more. Yeah.
0: Well, and, uh, and we have a bunch of stuff about carrots and their history and role in the world. So let's get into it. And on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. This week, that's in a segment called... Numbers and statistics have a lot of tricks, percentages make me sick, and I think it's fly when a guy named Alex reads those numbers, reads those numbers. I like podcasts hosted by guys named Schmidt, I'd listen if I had one wish, so we'll listen while the clam reads those numbers, reads those numbers.
1: Wow. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank that's, you.
0: That's to, to the tune of
1: what? Oh, come on. Song. <laughs> I mean this this is Jason being a little bit shy about the fact that he has always been a huge LFO fan from the first day I met him that was one of the things that he mentioned um it's the song uh, about how they like girls who wear Abercrombie Abercrombie and Fitch and Chinese food makes them sick
0: yeah I was I was partly just really excited to replace the actual lyrics of Summer Girls. Not bad into them. So any deviation, really good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that name was submitted by Daniel Clark. What a great idea. Thank you, Daniel. New name Hold every on. week. Please make it as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit to SipPod on Twitter or SipPod at gmail.com. Or oh, brilliant,
1: uh, like that one just was. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that.
0: Right. Too. Or perfect. Same address. Same email. <laughs> same Twitter. Uh <laughs> Uh, And first number here is a a bit of carrot history. It's the 1930s. And the 1930s is when a team of Soviet agronomists, thank you, Soviet agronomists, they developed the current theory of the origin of the carrots we eat today. The source here is a book called Vegetables, a Biography. That's by Evelyn Blockdano. And that's in French. It's translated by Teresa Lavender Fagan. But Blockdano says there was a 1930s scientific mission to study crops grown in Afghanistan and Kashmir, and the goal was to discover things that would boost agriculture. They accidentally found that there was a huge variety of carrots there, just all kinds of different species and varieties, and they decided that this mountainous region of Western and Central Asia must be the center of carrot biodiversity, and probably the origin of modern carrot crops. So Afghanistan, Kashmir... That's that's there's other cultural and historical evidence backing that up. But 1930s Soviets did some like botanical agricultural checking of that being where carrots are from. And did they did they succeed
1: Where did they manage to start, you know, popping out big, big <laughs> loads of carrots for the yeah, Soviet I, I, people?
0: I actually don't know if they lifted mm. any good tricks or tips. They just found out like this carrot fact for us, the three of us. So nice. we benefited.
1: Yeah, well done. All right, I'll allow it. Well done, Soviet agronomists. I I was withholding my
2: praise, but all right, fine. (laughs) But this gets into what I find interesting about this subject and why I wanted to do this episode. Because the thing they were investigating was not where uh, God put the carrots on the earth when he created it. 6,000 years ago, they were right, trying to find right, where right. people had invented carrots. And this is something that I feel like everybody knows if you pin them down on it, but nobody ever thinks about, which is that when you go to the grocery store, everything in that produce section is man-made. That yeah. it is stuff that has been created like none of that stuff, because in the early 2000s or some somewhere around, around then, there was a viral video from some televangelist. Who gave this entire, he had this entire bit he did on the 700 Club or whatever those. The I think Christian, it was Kirk
1: Cameron, actually. It
2: may have been Kirk Cameron. Um, but he, he did a thing on how the banana was proof that the earth had an intelligent design because the banana fits perfectly in the hand. It peels easily and it has all these nutrients that humans need. like this is evidence that God put bananas on the earth for us. And, you know, otherwise, what a coincidence it would be. And the guy was blissfully unaware that, of course, the banana, as you see it in the grocery store, did not exist until banana farmers made them. The the wild version of the banana is not something you could eat or would want to eat. It was developed over centuries. So when you're talking about the carrot, you're talking about the invention of a thing. And we're going to dig into the exact... Like steps that went through, and, and we because people are afraid of like genetic modification stuff like that, but we've been doing this forever. Yeah, big time.
1: That's I, I still remember um, like there was an article we did about like things you won't believe are man made back at Cracked, which was a website that we used to all work for. Like the picture of what corn started out as, and then like what what it eventually became and you know the the fact that it basically just looked like a uh, like wild grass so when you go from a wild like piece of grass to corn on the cob or when you go to what bananas used to look like to what bananas look like now there there's a similarity in like the the shape that they're going for <laughs> Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, do, doesn't it seem oh, mm-hmm. like very phallic? <laughs> like they they were like, you know what would be better is if instead of having these like two little pieces of corn on the tip of a uh, stalk of grass, um, it was just a giant like you know right. looking thing that was covered in corn. I've always just liked to imagine what that first uh (laughs) reveal was like (laughs) like i'm sure it wasn't like all at once but still it's fun for me to imagine and if you could
2: have shown them like what the future will look like and said look this agriculture-based civilization you are making you're bringing into existence like someday they're going to go to the moon and let us show you the vehicle they used. The vehicle that they used. And like a little tear would come to their eye. We,
1: we did them proud.
0: We did them proud, boys. I, I, Also, this reminded me of one of my favorite jokes about carrots is on the Colbert Report when Stephen Colbert used to do that character. Like he had a strong belief that baby carrots are trying to make him gay. And he and, in, and his character did not like that, you know, but like right. he yeah, yeah. I, I think it's something about how a baby carrot is somewhat less phallic, like it's shorter, it's smaller, like they never explained the joke. He just always said that was what was going on. And I think it's tapping into this weird thing. Yeah.
1: Well, and as we'll learn, it's the it it's not a baby carrot technically. So the thing that it most has, it's like a baby shaped thing like that that is the shape of a baby yeah so i don't i don't know if you're allowed to say that on this podcast but uh I, i've had baby boys and that's that's the thing that the baby carrots most resemble
0: it's just what's going on we get we just what's the, happening the number about it right away the the next number is 1989 and 1989 is the year when a california farmer started production of baby carrots That's when they were essentially invented. And the source for this is another book. This is a book called The Carrot, Purple, and Other Curious Stories of the Food We Eat. It's by food historian Joel S. Denker. But he writes about Bakersfield, California, farmer Mike Yurosak, who pretty much invented this whole thing that so many of us eat. He had a large carrot growing and packing operation. Apparently, he was dealing with 400 tons of imperfect carrots per day. Uh, An imperfect carrot is totally edible, it just doesn't look uh, like the phallic thing, basically, that we all want. But also, (laughs) like, some of them are split into two carrots or or just another shape that people are not used to. And at the time, those were mostly getting diced up into super tiny pieces by frozen vegetable companies. Like a bag of frozen mixed vegetables, the little carrot cubes in there. Right, the shredded
1: carrots that you're throwing on your salad or whatever, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just all the the tiniest slicing and dicing. And he said, hey, can we sell these imperfect carrots fresh? And so they started dividing them into identical two inch pieces that are just sculpted. It was a huge hit. Immediately, that became a huge product line. It got to the point where the industry will take, quote unquote, perfect carrots and make those baby carrots, too. And this whole time, not everybody knows like baby carrots are the exact same as regular Bugs Bunny carrots. They're just chopped and sculpted. That's it.
2: Yeah. Cause I did not know that. I thought they were literally, maybe because the product said they're baby carrots, I thought they were just young carrots. And so I guess I assumed they were more tender or something. But it's, but no, they're just taking normal carrots putting them into a machine that grinds off all of the rest of the carrot, except for the baby carrot part. Yeah. Obviously they gets more than one out of each carrot. They're not just just destroying the whole thing down to baby carrot size or else they'd be very expensive. Um, right. but just because we're so lazy that we don't want to have to like chop our big carrots down to snack sized. This is what capitalism is very good at when it comes to feeding people. It's like the stuff that nobody wanted Yeah, it's like the like the ugly carrots. Like, well, I'm not throwing that away. We we paid several pennies for those. Find find a way to get people to eat them. Find a way, like, well, we we can just shave off all the bits and then claim they're babies. Fine. (laughs) Oh, people love that. Get to destroy something innocent.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll call them carrot veal, and it'll be just like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they they've suffered. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> like the mascot is a cruel industrialist or something like but a people are like
2: yes
1: yes we love it <laughs> have you ever seen have you ever seen a uh like baseball bat being made in one of those machines that like kind of shaves it down and is very it's I think I've seen it on no. that like better every loop type um, thing where it's just yeah. a, it's being sculpted like really fast as it's it's like spinning. And then there's like a blade that's like shaving it down. And that is now how, how I'm picturing the baby carrot being made <laughs> is because it does. There's a smoothness it to be. it. Like it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would be easy to do with a knife without like putting it on something that spins it around rapidly and shaves right. it, shaves down all the all the hard edges.
2: Oh, oh! To be clear, yeah. whatever machine is making baby carrots, it is something that if you stuck your hand into, it would just grind it right up yeah. without no, your That's even, what, <laughs> that's what even your hand s- would look like now. Yeah, without yeah. even slowing down, it wouldn't even <laughs> it wouldn't even make a noise when they did it. It would just. Uh, no, it, that is, I, I don't doubt that is a brutal process, but it, yeah. th- again, that is a bit of marketing genius because you have something that is very pleasant to hold in your hand. And it looks like something that's better than the version that nature gave us, which is, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, yeah,
0: right. There's, it feels like there's no, uh, friction. Like there's no knobby weird stuff from the ground. It's just like, Oh, the perfect food. Thanks. Great. Right. I'm a Jetson. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Jetson carrots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess there's another number three that is according to Joel Stenker's book how many baby carrots they usually get out of a actual carrot. It's all carrot, but that's that's usually how it goes. And they've tried to develop some longer varieties where you can get four. So that's like the, uh, sort of the trajectory of a lot of carrot hybridization and developing varieties is how long can this be? How many baby carrots can we turn this dumb regular carrot into? And uh, and next number, much bigger. It is about 4,500 years. And that's how old some wild carrot seeds are that were found in Central Europe by archaeologists. And this is Joel S. Denker's book again, he says that archaeologists found wild carrot seeds from around 2,500 BC at Neolithic campsites in what's now Germany and Switzerland. Uh, but also these wild carrots, This this is still a plant we have today. It's just very different from the carrots in the grocery store. This is primarily a flowering, weedy plant. In North America, it's often called Queen Anne's Lace. The, the main feature is, above ground, you get big bunches of tiny white flowers. And like below ground, there is a tiny white taproot. The, the taproot is the official name, like the botanical name, for the whole orange thing that we eat in a, a farm carrot. But the uh, the tiny root there is super bitter tasting. Its scientific name comes from the Greek word docus, which means burn, because this plant has mainly been used to feed grazing animals with the big uh, green flowery part. And then like that little bottom part has was first ever used as medicine. So it's a totally different plant.
2: Hmm. Um I'm going to do a this is violating a podcast rule but I'm going to ask the host something that I'm not sure if he knows. Oh no. In, in terms of evolution <laughs> is the idea that of the root being bitter so that it does not get eaten because presumably if they bite the green uh-huh. part off that will simply regrow but if they take up that root and eat that part, it's it's now a dead. It's dead. It can't obviously. That's the part that grows. So is it a, a an adaptation where it's it survived by itself being like selection, like like the ones that tasted bad is right. like a defense against the cow pulling it up and trying to eat the whole.
0: I yeah, that's something I don't know, but I'm pretty sure because because what I do know, and we'll talk more about later, is that the tap root is a storehouse of energy to create more plants up top above the ground and so this this wild carrot is basically the reverse of our farm carrots where the goal is a bunch of stuff above the ground and what's below the ground is just there to fuel that
1: and as a taproot uh, just going on to continue to try to stump you Um, but (laughs) I think this is a dumb question that I just like never understood. What what does tap,
0: tap root mean? Is that like a, the main root? Oh, I, I have to Google it to be sure. I'll drop something in if it's different. I believe it's cause this root is sort of tapping into the ground is the idea. Sort of like if you tap into a tree for maple syrup, it's one spiky tool, you know? Okay. Got it i'll correct that if that's not the thing jack Jack,
2: i think he just pulled that out of his butt i know that's (laughs) that sounded like such (laughs) um wow Uh,
1: yeah it seems like a a straight tapering root growing vertically downward seems to be the the thing so i think you're right i don't know if it came from uh you know tapping the keg or whatever you said it was but
0: um yeah (laughs) i think finally great. now we're talking about beer finally the show is <laughs> fun uh folks <laughs> but uh, and the last number for the takeaways because we have a couple of them last number is something jason discovered I, I didn't know about it but the number is 13 years and 13 years is how long a canadian woman lost her diamond engagement ring before finding it again thanks to a carrot and it turns out there's a whole genre of news story where somebody loses a ring, usually a diamond ring, and then by farming carrots in the area of the ground where they dropped it, a carrot grows around the ring and then they pull it back up out of the ground and find the ring again. It's Specifically, they, what a pull, good genre.
2: they pull a carrot out of the soil and the carrot is wearing the ring. <laughs> yes. This was something that came up in a Cracked article pitch years and years ago. Um, and then we, we ran okay. it cause it was like a, an article about, we did lists for people who've never been to the site and it was like weird coincidences. This is like the one in a billion chance this person had lost their ring again, not, not a month earlier, but it was more than a decade earlier. And then it, this thing had, they'd lost it out in the yard or in their garden or whatever. And somehow by some long odds, a carrot root grew down through the ring under the soil, wherever it happened to get buried. And when they pulled the carrot up, it had grown into the ring and the carrot was wearing the ring. It sounds like something out of a fairy tale, but then years later, somebody else tries to pitch that in an article, and we tried not to reuse facts if we could avoid it. Yeah, back then. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, we we did that story already. And then I looked it up and it's like a different name. And it's like, wait, it happened again? <laughs> so what <laughs> Alex <laughs> is talking about, I went, I just sat down and started Googling. Carrot comes up growing Lost Ring. I found four news stories from all around (laughs) the world just in the last 10 years, going back to about 2000, 2000, was it 2011? There's one in 2016, one in 2018, one in 2017. And obviously, and Jack asked the same question that I know a lot of listeners are asking, are these Farmers just doing this to screw with us. Are they intentionally <laughs> like when they're planting, they just poking the the seed like down through their their wife's because it's like the the whole story is always that the ring was precious to them, right? right. It's like my grandmother's ring. She passed away. I felt terrible. We just we could never find it. And but you instantly get in the news <laughs> because it, with this photo, <laughs> and it's always a photo of you holding up this carrot wearing this your grandmother's lost ring. And it happens over and over and over again. So I don't know how to calculate the odds of this happening. Right. <laughs> maybe in all of the carrot gardens in all of the world and all of the rings that people lose in their yards, maybe it's just the odds are that every few years somebody, but these are just the ones that made the paper, right? Like not every example of right. this is, has been something that I was able to Google in 20 minutes Um, then, yeah. And I got four over the course of a decade. It's like once every two, two and a half, three years, this, this occurs.
1: Now, Alex, you, the way you told the story suggested that there might be some intentionality, like that they lost the ring in an area and then just planted carrots in that area oh. to intentionally retrieve <laughs> which would actually make more sense to me if they were like they know right. this is just an old like farm farmers almanac type cure for like finding lost rings as well you just <laughs> you know just absolutely plant the daylights out of the soil where you lost the ring with carrots and soon enough you're going to you're going to pull the ring up on one of those carrots i mean Maybe. I think I
0: think we might be inventing that now, yeah. Because yeah. this is this is definitely just farmers lose them while they're doing. And right. this, this also makes me think: if I was a farmer, I would have only wear my wedding ring like two minutes out of the day, because the rest of the day you're doing intense manual labor where you could lose your ring easily. Right. But yeah, there's farmers like losing the ring in the carrot patch, and then. Yeah. This can, And as Jason said, this is all over the world. It's 2011 in Sweden, 2016 in Germany, 2018 in England. And then in 2017, Mary Grahams of Alberta, Canada, she had lost the ring in 2004 while pulling weeds in the family farm garden. And then 13 years later, her daughter-in-law found it. And there was a carrot grown around it. It is based on the picture, like the carrot is so much wider than the ring. I feel like this is kind of hard to fake. Like the carrot really grew around it and then back out through it in a very natural way. It's kind of amazing.
1: There's also this is a thing you hear about in like from fishermen. Like they'll tell oh. stories about that. And then I just Googled fish lost ring because um, I'm good at Google and I know exactly the search term <laughs> to uh, use. And uh, <clears throat> there's a report of a snorkeler's reportedly discovered a man's missing wedding ring after spotting it around a fish's neck. There you go. Which sounds, again, completely impossible. But, I mean, with. I just bring it up because fishermen are known for never telling lies. So it's got to be true. (laughs) If if fishermen said it happened, Um, I don't know. I'm still skeptical.
0: Each of them has personally caught the largest fish in the world. It's really cool. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's wild. But yeah, whole thing. And thank you, carrots. I I legitimately, <laughs> I don't think anyone will do it, but I like the idea that we're inventing the cure for if you lose your ring in a, on ground, you can just mm-hmm. scatter carrot seeds and check later. That's great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Because
1: of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan
0: Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Well, uh, and then we have a couple big takeaways about the rest of this carrot situation. And the first one is about a lot of what we talked about, about human intervention. Takeaway number one. Big orange carrots are a relatively recent phenomenon. And in particular, them being orange is only from about the past 500 years. Before that, and to this day, carrots have been widely eaten at other sizes and in other colors, in particular purple. And also, if you live in like Turkey or West Asia, you may know everything coming here about other colors for carrots. That's the the home region in particular, uh, the the not orange ones.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a things that a kitchen that offers artisanal and just that word anywhere on their menu will will uh, pride itself in offering carrots that don't that aren't oh, orange yeah. like that. That feels like a a recent food trend, a rediscovery in the foodie community. But they don't really taste different, right?
0: Yeah, they taste pretty much the same. Well, yeah, We will talk about some slight vitamin differences and stuff but mm. but yeah you're still getting that same general kind of plant i'm also i'm thinking of blue potato chips now i remember being offered blue potato chips in a fancy situation like and I they you you think-
1: flipped the bowl that they, they were offered to <laughs> you in right So <laughs> said
0: what devilry is this i am no fun yeah, uh, tough to be
2: around. I don't want to. I don't want to come off like I, I wasn't listening to what you just said because <laughs> I, I was. Um, I am looking at a photo of a uh, lost engagement ring wrapped around wrapped around a potato. Okay. All right, so it's oh, is something it in me. the ground. Yeah, yeah. Okay, which makes sense. I mean, again, it, it would just it just has to grow through there just right. Like it's one in a million, again, yeah. unless they just carefully cultivated <laughs> it this way. But um, yeah, so it is it is not as common. I have photographic supposed proof of it happening at least once.
0: Well, and uh, and with carrots, as far as their like change in color over time, there's a couple sources here. It's the two books from those numbers, The Carrot Purple by Joel S. Denker and Vegetables, a Biography by Evelyn Blackdano, and then a research compilation book called Food: A Culinary History from Antiquity to the Present. That's edited by Jean-Louis Flandrin and Massimo Montanari. A lot of Europeans this week. A lot, a lot of that going on.
2: And Massimo Montanari did the bulk of the work on that. I think it's ridiculous that Jean-Louis Flandrin got their name put first. <laughs> You've always said that.
1: I, I was I was holding my breath when I when you brought those two up. I was like, oh, Jason's gonna come come with his take on how. <laughs> Fagan Erasure or whatever the guy's name is. I, forgot, I already forgot the name.
0: <laughs> and then I, Joe Rogan style, I'm going to make a five hour podcast with John Louis Flandrin because he's been silenced <laughs> by these critics. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Ugh.
2: All of the most controversial theories he tried to get in there were cruelly taken out at the last minute by the yeah. other, by the backstabbing Massimo Montanari.
1: Massimo Montanari with. Just again, the greatest name. Uh, well, well done, <laughs> sir. Massimo Montanari. Whatever <laughs> fictional writer came up with that. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> when the, and starting with the color of carrots. So, in the numbers, we covered that the domesticated carrot, like the crop carrot, came from Central and Western Asia. It turns out the first main carrots from that region were purple. For centuries, if you were eating carrots there, you were like, yeah, that purple vegetable, great. And then at some point, there was either a mutation or cultivation that led to yellow carrots. And so purple and yellow ones were the main ones. And along the way, people developed some red types and some white types. We don't start to get orange ones until around the 15 and 1600s in Europe.
2: Hmm. And this is where I'm, and obviously this has been lost to history, but I'd be very curious to know If they didn't, because again, the theory is that they may have started intentionally breeding them, even though it didn't change the flavor, breeding them to a different color. And I do wonder if that wasn't for market, like if they didn't just decide that that was a more appealing, because I think a purple carrot like in a stew would look gross. (laughs) You know, they were making things to look appealing one way or the other. Uh, for sale or for whatever so they would have every motivation to do it even if you know modern capitalism didn't exist back then they still needed to make an appealing finished product uh so i that that's interesting to me that we don't know if it happened by accident or if there's some enterprising person who's like the only thing i don't like about carrots is how they look right (laughs) it's that's (laughs) that's a weird it, it it's it's a unpleasant color to have in my in my uh my chili or whatever, whatever they were making. The color orange, you know, like we there are certain medications we make orange and fruit juices we will make orange. Like it's it suggests M and
1: M's we make orange. <laughs> the wrapping like, paper around uh, the best candy, uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. It
2: suggests like sunshine <laughs> and happiness and like it's a happy. It's just a happy color. Whereas like sleep medication is always blue. Blue is the color of being sleepy and tired or whatever
1: or dead. Or dead.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, and I also, I wonder if at least some of this is social too, because like orange carrots feel bright to me and feel sunshiny to me. And then I was surprised to learn that in some countries, especially Turkey, they're still eating tons of purple carrots. And like there are, I especially associate modern processed foods with being like like blue raspberry in a way that is thrilling to me in a childlike way i'm like (laughs) hell yeah i'm glad that's bright technicolor blue in a way nothing is good yeah
1: great yeah i feel like that's where the um the like artisanal backlash thing is coming from is like well carrots shouldn't be orange because that's what my brain wants them to be and like that's just the (laughs) like i can't trust my brain anymore because it's been tricked for so long by like the straightforward you know machinations of um, capitalism, but I think there's something with the social thing. You know, I used to wear, you know, bouquets of carrots around my neck to court women. Uh, you know, just let them know. Cause you're a horse and you know, they yeah. were the fellow horses were interested. <laughs> like, Ooh,
0: yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. And, and as far as this progression, like it is also at least partly branding. Cause some people in Europe said, purple carrots, too irritating. Apparently, you, we had this spread of domesticated carrots where they spread east from Iran to China in the 1200s, then Japan in the 1600s. And then the same progression goes west. They reach Holland, France, and Germany in the 1300s. And then Joel S. Denker says refugees from Flanders were the first to bring carrots to England. That's how England got them in the first place. But according to Joel S. Denker, Northern and Central Europeans Way preferred the yellow carrots to the purple carrots in particular, because cooks would complain about getting purple stains on their hands from handling purple carrots. Also, if you do like a dish or a stew where you're mixing purple carrots with other stuff, apparently that purple color really dominates. Like You you just end up with a fully purple dish, even if Mm. the other stuff Mm. was not purple in the first place. And so Europe over and over again grows yellow carrots and at some point gets a mutation where they drift toward orange.
1: And voila. Marketing, yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, hot damn. That's the color. I do wonder if like they turned orange and someone's like, that's what it should be, right? Like these should we should all be <laughs> orange, right? These are, that like that looks like a carrot. Everything else prior to this doesn't look like a carrot. That looks like a carrot to me.
2: Um, well for example, probably, yeah. like if Cheese is just made from you know curdled milk or whatever. There's no reason it should be orange, right? But somebody <laughs> used orange. You know, oh, yes. if you have a child, you say, "Draw me a piece of you know, draw me a piece of cheese." They're going to get out an orange crayon because cheese is orange. Well, that's that's purely something to color the fact that. Cheese, you know, a lot of cheeses are kind of plus colored if yeah. you don't do something to them. And orange was just one of the most pleasant colors they came up with to uh, that kind of looks good on the shelf or or whatever. But that's yeah, right. that that that's interesting that the purple dye again. It's it, they're not saying that it ruined the dish in terms of its taste, right? It just made everything look look sloppy. It just made it. it it's like an it's like ink, right? Like it's where something with you know, an, an orange tinge. If you're putting that in your in your uh, nachos, it doesn't it doesn't bother it.
1: And they knew one day that we would have Instagram, and you know, <laughs>
2: the,
0: it was all going to be about the look. Yeah, because we even like we idealize a purple in like a grape, because even, even most real grapes are not very purple. They're, they'll even be just fully not that color but like welch's grape we're like that's correct that's what i'm looking for and yeah. then with carrots we were like whoa, whoa 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 that looks really weird yeah purple
1: purple on savory doesn't work but purple on sweet is okay i feel like in at least yeah, in I our so. cultural norms right yeah like in yeah. the u.s purple yeah, on yeah. mountain dew uh apparently very good <laughs> the new purple version of mountain dew is apparently
2: great And that's really the new innovation in this kind of science where now, like, instead of like having energy drinks that are just called, you know, blueberry or apple or orange, it's like... Dark Thunder. Purple Thunder. Yeah, yeah Purple Thunder is the it's Mountain Dew abstract, flavor. It's an abstract <laughs> concept. <laughs> and the
1: takeout review of it is I don't detect any of the fruit flavors that they've suggested. Uh, all I can say is that it tastes exactly like the concept of purple. And they gave it like an <laughs> A plus and said it's the best food yeah. that they've ever put in their mouth.
2: If you could go back to these, the Dutch traders in the 1600s and give them like a Mountain Dew Baja Blast. Yeah. If they said, what flavors are this? And you said, oh, it's Baja Blast. I think they'd say, yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> seems... yeah. So yeah. like the, we have invented abstract concepts of flavor that can't be connected to anything in, in the Lord's creation. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah.
1: it's what our greatest artists are doing now.
2: I think the last energy drink I had was a C4 <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> if, if, if you had me put on a blindfold and drink it, it asked me what flavors I detected. I think I would eventually arrive at, I don't know, like a Bombsickle. I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's, <laughs>
0: it's like a mixture of a bomb and a Popsicle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of artists, right? Developing all these things. Artists are part of how we're able to track the origin of orange carrots, because there was a study in the 1950s by a Dutch agronomist. Get out of here, Soviets. Uh, A Dutch agronomist named Otto Banga. And he, he examined still life paintings like in the Louvre and in other major art museums. And he noticed starting in the 1600s, in Dutch art specifically, there start to be yellowish-orange carrots or fully orange carrots, and there's not purple, there's not regular yellow. And based on that and other ways we can study the actual biology of carrots, we believe that four different Dutch varieties of orange carrot are the origin of all the modern orange carrots that we've proceeded to plant in most places in the world. And then there's another thing where... A, a mistaken belief has come about, and and one or two people reached out to me about this when I did a whole episode about the color orange, because there's a very reasonable mistaken belief that orange carrots were developed in the 1600s Netherlands to celebrate the brand new 1600s Netherlands ruled by the House of Orange, rebelling against Spain. Very patriotic. It turns out that's probably just a coincidence. Just this royal house that branded itself in its country on the color orange and carrots that are the color orange kind of happened at the same time. It wasn't farmers trying to be patriots.
2: Yeah. And then that may be a, consciousness. Fact that we, yeah. a fact that we printed as true and incorrect when we were there but it's (laughs) it's too late the 30
1: percent that we were just like we really don't have time to fact check this we're just gonna Uh, it sounds pretty good none of us have
2: access to the cms to go in and add a disclaimer to that so it's
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, very much cut off from that uh yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean
1: like something like that where like a color becomes popular or, like an idea or a phrase like becomes popular and you know it starts popping up in different places like maybe they don't need to be intentionally related but um yeah it's true yeah, yeah i can definitely see just people people were feeling orange in that you know handful of centuries uh in that region of the world
0: that's true, yeah, and it, it is a very surprising coincidence. Like you would not think those things would line up, but but they just seem to, yeah, because it was mainly seems to just be that Europeans grew so many yellow carrots over and over again because they didn't like the purple ones. That eventually things progressed,
1: yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay, so it wasn't even intentional necessarily.
0: Yeah, and because there there are also people who still stuck to purple carrots in a lot of parts of the world, in particular the country of Turkey. Apparently, you can get a summer drink there named salgam, which is pickled purple carrots as the main mm. ingredient. Uh, so that's not, you know, orange is not the only way to go. And it's relatively new on the scene as far as plants go.
1: And that was a that was a summer drink. That was a, like a yeah. thirst quenching <laughs> summer drink. It's the equivalent of purple thunder. in
0: for some <laughs> communities. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, and the other big change we've done is the root size, because as you said, the taproot is the official term for the entire underground vegetable of a carrot. So when we're eating a carrot, we're technically eating the taproot. And before human intervention, those were small, if not tiny. And that leads us into a whole nother takeaway. Takeaway number two. Farmers harvest carrots halfway through their lives. This is a thing I just did not know about how carrots grow until researching. If you're eating the taproot of a carrot plant, you are eating a prematurely killed carrot plants. And their life cycle is actually two entire years. The the carrot that we eat is just like the middle of the cycle of this plant.
1: So like we're 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 eating them in the prime of their life. So going back to my thing about how <clears throat> you know, I I liked baby carrots because I felt like I was killing something innocent um i can still feel pretty good like i'm taking the life force of something that's just cut down in the prime of its life
0: yeah well they almost are baby carrots they're they're like thriving adult carrots right. yeah before they're old
1: hell yeah <laughs> just young and dumb that's, that's how <laughs> i like my carrots <laughs> not these gnarled old wizened carrots uh, that taste terrible
2: that have been jaded by the world. You can taste <laughs> the, the bitterness of their they've been they've been through a couple of divorces and it's yeah. just not they've smoking. lost the ability to yeah. trust. Yeah, to trust in they've people. They stopped
1: and started smoking like three times. Um, is, is the reason that they've uh, is the reason that they just like taste
0: better? Is that kind of why why we kill them so young? Yeah, mainly. And it it partly comes from why they grow this taproot at all. Uh, The key sources here are the YouTube channel of the University of Wyoming extension, like the ag part, and then also a great video by a farmer named Jag Singh. But uh, the biology of carrots, they are a biennial plant. That means they have a two-year life cycle. And what happens is in year one, there is a very small green plant above the ground and a larger and larger and larger taproot below, a larger and larger, let's think of it as orange part of the plant. And then that taproot, part of why it's so exciting as a food for us is that it's a structure storing a bunch of energy that's ready for harvest after about three months very quickly. And then in year two, what happens is the taproot's energy gets taken by the whole rest of the plant, and it's focused on growing a much bigger flowery green plant above the ground. Like the, the ultimate goal, if if carrots had mines, the ultimate goal would be, I want to have a bunch of flowers, a bunch of stems, a bunch of seeds to make more carrot plants other places. And the taproot is like an intermediate stage that we just value a lot as humans. Sounds good. Had no idea yeah. that's going on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And if you if left in the ground, they turned into these terrifying david cronenberg yeah witch carrots yeah carrot monsters it looks like (laughs) you like you could go viral pulling up one of these and say these are what carrots look like when grown next to a nuclear power plant
0: (laughs) or or when
2: exposed to 5g the 5g tower my carrots look like and it literally is just a carrot from year two of its natural growth stage but it looks like this mutant thing with tentacles
1: um yeah the tentacles it, like that's also uh, what i was picturing when you were talking about split carrots like being the th- the imperfect kind that they would turn into baby carrots alex i was I was picturing like I- i've definitely yeah. seen that sort of you know it-, it always reminds me of witches for some reason because it's like you know uh
0: <laughs> gnarled yeah, gnarled yeah yeah gnarled is the right word that's and it, and I'm gnarly, bro. I'm so excited for people to see. There are brief videos if people want to watch, or we'll I'll try to put screen caps in the links because like there's a thing that farmers, especially amateur farmers, have run into where they just keep letting a carrot grow by accident. Like they don't harvest it in year one, and then in year two, the taproot becomes crazy. Uh, it becomes a much like. It, it's often still a big size, but it turns into a weird pale color. It turns into a much more like wooden texture. It becomes something that is very, very strange looking. We'll have a bunch of pictures linked. And from there, it generates a bunch of beautiful flowers and those have seeds in them. And those seeds are how you can plant new carrots. But if farmers forget to harvest these things, they end up with a... Like a Stranger Things version of the plants. Like they're yeah, like, oh, this sure. is not fun at all to eat or look at. What happened to my thing? I I shouldn't have left it cooking in the ground for so long.
1: Yeah, it looks evil. Looks it looks like a, yeah. a mistake and something that uh, my God would never
0: allow. I don't know what, what's going
1: on. I must be asleep at the wheel when it comes to these things. Because,
0: jeez. Uh, yeah. Right. This would really throw Kirk Cameron. It was like, yeah, (laughs) God designed it. So you really, really have to pay attention to its life cycle and pull it at the exact right time. Otherwise it gets super weird and demonic.
2: Yeah. (laughs) This is why I love the food episodes of this show. Yes. Is that everything we eat, there's nothing natural about this because we have over time figuring out like what's the exact best way to get the part because obviously the carrot's goal in life is not to have us eat its root. Its goal is to reproduce. That we and it's whether you're talking about this, whether you're talking about bananas, which literally have can only be grown by cloning them because we don't do the seed distribution part at all. Um, mm-hmm. And like there's a viral image that goes around the internet every once in a while, reminding everybody that there are six different vegetables that are all from actually from the same plant. Yeah, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, broccoli, cauliflower—that's all from the same plant. That is just they've each, they've taken the plants and then bred them to emphasize like a different part of their structure to get the biggest fattest cauliflower, the biggest fattest broccoli. But that's all from the same plant that I cannot pronounce. Um, but hey,
0: yeah, <laughs> I can I can pretend to know. It's like Brassica oleracea, and Brassica is part of mustard that came up in the mustard episode. So I think it's related to that too. It's it's all one what? thing.
2: Well, and, and the thing is that so much of what we call stuff is, was literally just named by a corporation at some point. So, right. so they would, they would hide that fact by just coming up with some appetizing name for whatever this thing is they're selling the same way they fooled us all with the baby carrots thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> it is, it's, it is fascinating how most of us don't know what our food would look like if it were allowed yeah. to just grow and do its thing as an organism versus as food for us. Uh, because we still, same way we look at horses and think of them as transportation <laughs> rather than organisms. <laughs> uh, we just look at this, it's like, well, this is the thing that grows cauliflower for, for us to eat. It's like, well, yeah, but what what is the cauliflower from the organism's point of view? Like, why is it growing that? And like with kale, it's like they said, what's the worst part of this plant? <laughs> that we can Let's see we that what's the most yeah. leathery unpleasant yeah
1: that we used to only sell to pizza hut because as the garnish for their pizza for the, bars yeah the, to, to yeah. put
2: to put, <laughs> put the between, between the, the actual stuff on the bar to yeah. make it look yeah
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> yeah all these
0: plants i feel like for so many decades just so many of us are not near farms like putting this together i realized when I was watching videos of a guy be like carrot year two, it's crazy. That's probably the first time I've actually seen carrots harvested out of the ground. And before that it was bugs bunny pulling them out of a cartoon ground and getting yelled at by, by the sheriff of Nottingham. Like it's not, it's not something I'm close to. And then I learned about (laughs) it for this. It's great. I don't know. You
1: sound like you're pretty educated. That that bugs bunny story was pretty. uh, (laughs) I think that's how, how carrots usually come out of the ground.
0: I also know like three pieces of classical music, so it's pretty good. Uh, The ones he did specifically, that's it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) They're mostly about wabbits and barbers. That's the main (laughs) songs. Uh, Those are the the main ones. Well, and there's one more takeaway for the main episode here and jumps forward in history. Takeaway number three. People think carrots improve your vision because of a British World War II psyop. Uh, psychological operation is a PSYOP. This is somewhat scientific. Like carrots can support your vision and, and help maintain it. But there's a misleading thing the British did to lead people to believe that they give you like night vision superpowers. And it's not true, but it
2: stuck with us. Is that still out there? That carrots help your eyes. I heard that when I was a kid. I, I, th- like- I did too.
1: This is the, I, I don't think I remember hearing it. I, I think all my memories have been replaced by things we learned while editing cracked articles. So I don't even know if I ever <laughs> believed it. I just know that it was a belief.
2: Yeah. This is the yeah. point where it's, Jack has got to be like, I'm sorry, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> do you know
1: yeah i just by i've learned i have to just like bite my tongue yeah
2: there is nothing you can debunk (laughs) for me that i I, and in fact i probably have since found out that the debunking is wrong
0: (laughs) i feel like the internet specifically taught me so much about world war ii propaganda Specifically, Like, the internet loves exploring how people in World War II lied to the other side in World War II. It's one of the favorite things of people online. So into it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, like, we have, you've pasted in a piece of, this is from a propaganda campaign, right?
0: Yeah. Like, they, they
2: intentionally put this out there.
0: Yeah, this was very, this was not, like, people vaguely hope they could convince people. Like, there were posters printed when that was hard to do in the 1940s. And the the key source here is a piece for a Smithsonian Magazine, actually. It's a piece by K. Annabelle Smith, and Joel S. Denker's book talks about it too. But starting with the myth, in, in World War II, Britain's government and military, they fomented a myth that carrots improve your vision and give you stronger night vision. And I'll have a poster linked here. The text on the top is, night sight can mean life or death. And then there's a picture of a soldier at night. And then the banner says... Eat carrots and leafy green or yellow vegetables rich in vitamin A with huge quotes around the letter A. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, essential for night sight. End of quote of poster. And they, they would this was not the only poster like this. Like they put a vibe out there to say, hey, whether you're a soldier or a civilian afraid of bombings, like if you eat carrots, it will make you more capable of seeing that stuff coming in the dark.
1: Yeah. But they weren't really putting it out to their people,
0: were they? They were putting it out so the Germans would hear it they right? They were putting it out as like, "Hey, fellow British people, this is an advantage we can have." Mm. But the goal was to fool the germans right. and this was because the British had a technological advantage uh German bombers started attacking England at the you know as soon as they conquered France, essentially, and in particular, they attacked at night, which is why some British cities instituted nighttime blackouts. But according to the Smithsonian, quote, the Royal Air Force were able to repel the German fighters in part because of the development of a new secret radar technology, the onboard airborne interception radar, which they nicknamed AI. I'm breaking in here to say AI is not a useful uh, acronym for this. It confuses me. But uh, it was first used by the RAF in 1939. It had the ability to pinpoint enemy bombers before they reached the English Channel. In 1940, RAF night fighter ace John Cunningham nicknamed Cat's Eyes. Was the first to shoot down an enemy plane using AI. He later racked up an impressive total of twenty kills, nineteen of which were at night. End quote.
2: I do hope this is this story that this is such a convoluted way to hide your <laughs> air your your radar advantage. Like whoever came up with this plan. Right, it's like well, let's just tell them that that it's the carrots because they must have found out that German Germany didn't have a lot of carrots or something that they couldn't so you know that this is like the <laughs> difference are we have a lot of carrots here. Were they hated in, carrots in England? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> so they're like or yeah. just
1: like cramming down a vegetable that they hate because they think it's going to give them superpowers. We're just like <laughs> the British are just, uh, using old cat's eyes and the. Uh, radar to just shoot them
0: out of the sky yeah i that that is helping me realize another reason this was silly because like carrots are more of a colder weather northern latitude vegetable like the germans definitely also had carrots oh yeah you would think they would have this advantage too yeah i'm just
1: picturing like the british people picturing like nazis just tucking into a just (laughs) giant bowl of carrots desperately um, just yeah. hoping to gain an advantage. I feel like that was at least part, part of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, to disguise this, they tried to tell their own British people this in order to send the German scientists and experts on a wild goose chase. There is no evidence that this worked, but there is huge evidence that this stuck in the British public's mind. And so then from there, like carrots give you night vision became a trope that a lot of people believe to this day. I certainly do. I forgot everything
1: you just said and still believe it. i I don't even turn my lights on when I drive at night.
0: Because you're carrots. in a car full of carrots just eating yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> and then it also gave kind of another advantage to British war production and food arranging because carrots were an easy crop for victory gardens to grow in British homes and yards and then carrot desserts were one of the best substitutes for desserts made of sugar because sh- actual sugar was very tightly rationed, and so psychologically British people did benefit from believing that the less good carrot desserts that they were eating were also giving them powers. You know, that was just an easier <laughs> way to, you know, smooth things over with real cake not being so available. I like carrot cake.
1: Um, I don't think I would like carrot cake if the carrot was the su- like used as a substitute for sugar i think the thing i like yeah. about <laughs> carrot cake is that like they're like well sh- we put carrots in this so we have to just like absolutely bombard it with sugar like just put so right. much sugar in it that it is on the verge of just being a sugar cube and at that point we <laughs> we hold back a little bit but like i think i think that's what i like about it so the idea that they're like instead of sugar why not try carrots in your chocolate right. cake
2: <laughs> let's put it this way if you owned a restaurant or a bakery and you sold carrot cake and if Eventually, you just decided to try not putting the carrot in there. No one would complain <laughs> yeah. or notice as long as it still had like the cream cheese frosting and, and all the yeah. other elements in there. It's like no one would ever. It's like, oh boy, I can barely taste this. I can barely taste the carrot in this. That's the best best <laughs> carrot cake so far. How do how do you do that? How do you hide your carrot so well?
0: <laughs> and then, as far as the other source of this misconception, it partly comes from. The actual thing where carrots do help you maintain your baseline vision, Uh, and this is actually one of the main differences between a purple carrot and an orange carrot, because carrots have vitamin A in particular because the orange ones have a substance called carotene, and carotene is a pigment containing compounds high in vitamin A. And a 1998 Johns Hopkins study, as reported by the New York Times, found that supplemental pills could reverse poor vision among those with a vitamin A deficiency. If you just provided more vitamin A, provided more carotene, and in his book, Joel S. Denker interviews Philip Simon, who's a geneticist for the USDA, and he says that orange and purple carrots have different disease resistances and also different levels of vitamins. And the orange ones actually have more vitamin A because of that orange color that they're or they have more vitamin A because of the carotene giving them orange color. Mm. So yeah, so there is like some vision boost, but mainly in a preventing vitamin deficiency kind of way it doesn't give you superhuman abilities
1: in the same way that sucking on a lemon rind is okay for making it so your teeth don't fall out when you're out to sea but it's not uh it's not (laughs) like the, (laughs) the, the advised course of uh you know giving yourself superpowers
0: the claim is like if people were like yeah if you have citrus it'll give you huge teeth or like mega <laughs> teeth, right? Like that's right. the claim. The strongest character. dang gums. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> that's why when you see kind of ridiculous stories like this, it's so good that we've moved past that. to Where right. now you you know that because like now we have real superfoods like quinoa, which of course rids your body <laughs> of of the toxins that have been put into it, the and the negative energies that have been put into it by processed yeah. foods. Um, that we, yeah, we don't believe like these ridiculous myths anymore. So that- I'm just
1: sitting back having some nice raw water. Um, so- I don't know if you're familiar with that, but out here in LA, people have started drinking raw water, which is just water that hasn't been filtered or cleaned <laughs> of, uh, any of the toxins.
0: <laughs> I, I actually don't eat or drink those things cause I, I don't have time to start levitating and right. uh, shooting lasers <laughs> out of my eyes. So I, I don't do that. But it's, it makes sense that you guys do that. yeah.
2: <laughs> Folks, that is the
0: main episode for this week. My thanks to Jack O'Brien and Jason Pargin for another round of SifPOD. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff. Available to you right now. E if you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. I already foreshadowed this week's bonus topic. It is Bugs Bunny and his love of carrots. Where that came from. Why it's a thing. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show for a library of more than eight dozen other bonus shows. And to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring carrots with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one big orange carrots are a relatively recent phenomenon. Takeaway number two farmers harvest carrots halfway through their lives. And takeaway number three, people think carrots improve your vision because of a British World War II PSYOP. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. Jack O'Brien is on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien, and his podcast is The Daily Zeitgeist, or as it is often said, The Daily
2: Zeitgeist.
0: That's an iHeartRadio podcast. It's available everywhere, available often. There's daily episodes and daily trending episodes every weekday. Jack is also co-host of Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties, which is a fun new NBA podcast. And Jack makes that with his TTZ co-host Miles Gray. hope you remember him from last week's show about tulips. And I hope you are continuing to be interested in the NBA. They have the most interesting offseason of Really any American sport, I would say. So it's it's worth checking out because you want to know what all the, the Supermax contracts are gonna be. Jason Pargin is at John Dies at the EN on Twitter. That's the phrase John Dies at the end minus a letter. Speaking of John Dies at the end, Jason has a new book coming. It's available for pre-order. It's called If This Book Exists, you're in the Wrong Universe. And that book is the fourth book in the John Dies at the End series. Also stands on its own. Again, that title is If This Book Exists you're in the wrong universe. Pre-order info is going to be on the show links for this and also at Jason's Twitter at John Dies at the EN. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones, and I used a lot of reference materials this week. Those books include The Carrot Purple and Other Curious Stories of the Food We Eat by food historian Joel S. Denker. Also used Vegetables, a Biography. That's a French-language book by culture historian Evelyn Block Dano, translated by Teresa Lavender Fagan into My Language English. Next book is Food, a Culinary History from Antiquity to the Present that's edited by Jean-Louis Flandrin and Massimo Montanari. Oh, those two. And then tons more resources from the internet, in particular the YouTube channel of the University of Wyoming Extension, a Smithsonian Magazine piece by K. Annabelle Smith. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with episode 100 of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then.